Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I am uh, Tim Shorey, for those that don't know, one of the pastors here, and it's just wonderful to have you share with us in our first Christmas as Risen Hope Church. And we are, yes, God has been very, very kind to us, and it is just, I love this time of the year. I love looking back and how it helps us to look forward in life. And there is no better place to turn in order to look back and then look ahead than to God's Word. Uh, So I I invite you to Luke chapter 4 this morning. Luke chapter 4. If you're a guest and uh, do not have a Bible and would like one, please just raise your hand. We have a gift Bible for you. Uh, We want to make sure that you have a copy in hand. Luke chapter 4. And as you're Turning, um, just a couple of other uh, things to mention to you. Uh, We are having on Sunday evening, January the 3rd, a family fun night here. Uh, We're going to have uh, some family-friendly comedy from Michael Brooks. Uh, And then uh, I have a dear friend named Matthew Dwinnells who lives in the Philippines with his wife, Lee. Known him for 25 or so years he was a professional illusionist for many years, uh, is now in the Philippines serving homeless children uh, for a, a ministry called Street Kids. He's going to be with us on S- Sunday, January the 3rd, to do a full show, uh, illusion show. Going to be fun. Check the poster in the back. Uh, keep an eye out for more information as it comes your way over the next week or two. So that's that's kind of a nice way to climax your uh, holiday fun and festivity with a, an evening just for enjoyment here. And then uh, one other matter, uh, we want to make you aware that we are having our first Explore membership class for Risen Hope Church. That will be starting uh, Sunday, January the 10th. Normally, Uh, Explore is a separate course that runs before our Sunday morning worship, but this time through, uh, we're actually going to incorporate the material of Explore into our Sunday morning sermons and preaching. So the the Sunday morning worship is going to be our Explore class. What that does is, in this very busy season, it keeps us from having to add something else onto everyone's calendar and schedule. Uh, And it unifies all of us, whether we're members or not of the church, unifies us all in our understanding of what the church is and what it means to be a member of a local church. So there will be more information coming to you. If uh, uh, anyone who's been a guest here in in the past few months will be receiving an email and then a letter with more information on that. Uh, And uh, so keep your eye open, keep your ears open uh, for more on that. Announcements over. (laughs) And now, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Let's pray. Lord, come and speak to us through this same word, the living, abiding scripture, the holy word of God, given in ancient times, but still alive and still powerful for us today. Speak to us and affect us and change us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday evening, Gaylene hosted a Christmas cookie exchange in our home for two neighbor moms and their young daughters. And none of these were believers, none loved the Lord. And I love Gaylene's approach. She, she has, for many years, collected Christmas carolers that come out every December, and they're placed all over uh, our home. And uh, she put them all over our home this last Sunday night and created a search for the carolers game for these young children. And Gaylene, the girls loved the game, and Gaylene had a plan. And the plan was this. She wanted to get to the point in the evening where she asked her guests, why do you think Christians sing? Why Christmas carolers? Why, why is it that we have a song in our hearts? And then she shared the reason why we do. You may or may not be aware of it, but while lots and lots and lots of people sing, relatively few people sing in connection to their faith. Singing is not an active, meaningful significant part in the faith and religions of the world. One of the moms present uh, was Catholic, the other was a Buddhist woman. And this woman said that while she had been trained to sing, she has never sung in connection to her faith. So, so why is it that we sing? What is it about our faith that stirs within us a song in the heart. I would suggest to you this morning that the text that I have just read gives us the answers. This is, this is the second in a brief series of Christmas messages called I Have Come. And it's a series that's designed to highlight in Jesus' own words why he came to earth and what Christmas is all about. And he says in this text that he was sent which is another way of saying, I have come. And he says that he was sent and he came to proclaim five blessings. Good news for the poor, freedom for the captives, sight for the blind, liberty for the oppressed, 
and the year of the Lord's favor. I want us to think on these this morning so that our hearts will be filled with song. And I want us to think on them to help us define Christmas and define the coming of Jesus. Because the coming of Jesus, we're going to see today, proclaims a jubilee freedom celebration. The coming of Jesus proclaims a jubilee freedom celebration to a world that is enslaved to evil. To, to a world that is, is captured by darkness, to a world that is blind to God and truth and things beautiful, to a world that is shackled and shattered by sin. The coming of Jesus proclaims a jubilee freedom celebration for all who will believe, for all who will turn to Jesus Christ. Now let me, let me set the stage here in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is around 30 years old at the moment of this text, and ever since his birth in Bethlehem about three decades before, there, there has been mostly silence from Jesus. A lot of people in the area had heard about some strange happenings about angels appearing and, and uh, shepherds coming and wise men coming and all of that, but, but then it just all fell still and quiet. We're... we're you know, if this Messiah has come, where is he? Why isn't he talking? Why isn't he doing something at 30 years of just quietness? And during those years, Jesus has been preparing for his ministry and for his work. He's been preparing by obeying the law of God in every part. He's been preparing by listening to the nurture and the teaching of his stepdad, Joseph, and his mother, Mary. He's been preparing by visiting the temple, you remember, when he was 12 years of age, going and stumping all the scribes uh, with his knowledge of God's word and learning and studying. He's been preparing, we see in chapter 3, by an intense battle with Satan in the wilderness, where he's tempted in many different ways, but comes out of the battle unscathed and unharmed and still sinless. He's been preparing. And in chapter 3, we read about a, a kind of heavenly endorsement that he got at his baptism. Comes out of the water and a voice from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Preparation. Preparation. And just in recent weeks, as we come to this text, Jesus has begun to make his way around to some uh, synagogues in the region, and now he, now he comes to Nazareth, the place where he had been brought up, the, his hometown. Tiny, tiny town, probably somewhere around 250 people lived there. Uh, and if you have any sense of ancient towns, just think these stone, clay, little tiny huts that are just bunched together. So Nazareth was probably no bigger than the block that this building is in. Tiny place, insignificant place. And this 30-year-old who grew up among those 250, 300, 400 people, uh, this 30-year-old stands up on a Sabbath day 
And uh, he asked for a, a scroll, and he asked for the book of Isaiah. And he stands up and he unrolls the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he begins to read a prophecy that had been penned 700 years before. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed or anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus finishes reading, rolls the scroll back up, hands it back to the attendant, walks over to a chair or kind of stool that's over to the side where the rabbis would sit when they would do some teaching. And then he just sits down, and it's quiet. And all these people that he had grown up with, they're sitting there, just kind of looking at him. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? It's quiet. They're staring at him. He's still. And then he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What's he saying? This 700-year-old prophecy is being fulfilled, and I am its fulfillment. I am the one that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed. I am the one who has been sent to proclaim liberty and sight for all who will believe. This is Jesus in his own self-understanding. This is Jesus' messianic manifesto. This, this is Jesus as the Messiah standing up and declaring what he as the Savior of the world had come to do. And my friends, these are words that are so staggering. They are so astonishing. They are so bold that We've got to grapple with them. We've got to wrestle with them. It is entirely inappropriate for a human being who is merely a human being to stand up in front of some people and say, I am your liberator. I am your deliverance. I am your healer. These people were being confronted with claims that they were going to have to reckon with. About 33 or 4 years ago, I was in my study in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and, and heard a knock on the door, and at the door there was a woman who was clearly in need and asked if she could talk with me. I said, yes, come on in, and we sat down to talk. And within just a moment or two, a couple of minutes, she proceeded to tell me that she herself 
was Jesus Christ. And she meant it. I had to choose between believing that her claim was true or concluding that she was a liar or thinking that she had been deceived by someone or something or reasoning that she was unwell, the victim of some kind of illness of the mind that had created a delusion in her mind. But one thing was clear, my friends, I had a choice to make and it was an important one. I had to decide. These were claims that could not be ignored. Somebody stands in front of you and says, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Messiah. I am God's anointed one. You don't have the option of dismissing that lightheartedly or indifferently. You're in a similar situation if you're here this morning and have never thought seriously about Jesus. The claims he makes are not such that you can just ignore them. You have to decide, was Jesus delusional? Well, there's no evidence of that. Was Jesus an evil liar? Well, that would go against everything that we know about him. Was he simply deceived by his circumstances into thinking that he was the Messiah? Well, that just doesn't match the facts. Or is he the Messiah? Is he, in fact, who he claimed to be? Friends, Jesus doesn't give us the option of being indifferent to him. We must decide. We must decide. What will we do with Jesus Christ? How will we respond to him? In order to encourage you and, and help you to make the right decision, can I, can I tell you what he said he came to do? He said, I I have come, I was sent by God to proclaim and provide five things. First of all, good news for the poor. I've come, I've been sent by the Father to proclaim good news for the poor. Now, we need to understand both who the poor are and what the good news is. All right? The reality is that Jesus does not have in mind here primarily those who are financially or materially poor, but those who are spiritually poor. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are humble. Those who know their need. Those who are broken before God. Those who are dependent upon God. Now, very often, those who are poor financially are very close to being poor in spirit. Because the circumstances of their lives make them very aware of their need. That's why Jesus says it's very hard for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I was thinking about needles today. How many kids in this room even know what a needle is? You know, but you know, it's easier to... A needle, kids, is just a, you know, something you sew with. You don't even know what sewing is. So, so let's just ignore it. It's just this really tiny thing, and it has this little hole in it. And, and, and Jesus said, you could take a camel 
and squeeze it through the eye of that needle more easily than you can squeeze a rich man into heaven. Why? Well, because rich people think they have the delusion and the illusion of being self-reliant and self-sufficient. They have everything they need. Those who are poor know better. Those who are poor live every day of their life aware that there are things in their life that they need that they cannot provide. Somebody has to provide it for me. It's got to come from somewhere. Have you ever been in a situation in your life, circumstances, where financially or maybe physically, you looked at it all and you said, you know what? I got nothing here. I, I, I got no resources here. I can't meet this need. Many of you will know that 27 years ago, this coming January 11th, I got, I got sick with uh, viral meningitis. And... During the early days of that sickness, I contracted a headache that has been with me every day, all day, to this day. So I've had a headache for seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for the last 27 years, right to this very second. Now you may look at that and say, well, that, that, that can't be fun. It's not fun but it's good. It's good for me. I I get what the psalmist says. It was good for me to be afflicted. Why has it been good? Because every day of my life, friends, I know I need God. I know that only by the grace of God and the provision of God and the sustenance of God can I make it through the day. It had, my physical impoverishment, if you will, has made me realize my desperation for God. You may be in a situation like that physically or financially. Do not curse your poverty. Bless your poverty. Thank God for it. And let it move your heart. Because at the end of the day, what matters is not whether or not you are rich or poor materially, but whether you are poor spiritually. You're humble, you're broken, you're needy, you're dependent. You know you need what God and God alone can provide. Jesus says, I've come to, pro- to proclaim good news to the poor, to those who are desperate To those who are needy, I've got good news. Now, what's the good news? Is it wealth? Is it prosperity? Is it health? No. Read your Bible. You're going to find out that by and large, by and large, Christians are going to be somewhere near where Jesus was. He had no place to lay his head. You know, the the reality is, the reality is that God nowhere promises us health and wealth all the time, uh, this side of heaven. That side of heaven, health and wealth all the time. This side, no. Poverty and need are a way of life. Physical calamity, material need, it's just the way it is. But don't curse the poverty, bless the poverty, because it puts you in the right frame of mind to hear from God and to hear what God has for you. And Jesus is saying, I've got good news for the poor in spirit. You don't need to be wealthy to be rich. You don't need to have stuff in order to have joy. You don't need to be prosperous materially, to be prosperous in the soul. Remember what Paul said. 
Paul said, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my God, and my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Whether you need food and clothing and money, or whether you need grace and contentment because you don't have food and clothing and money, God will provide your needs according to his riches in glory. The good news that Jesus came to proclaim is that if we have him, we have everything. We have everything we need. Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor. Secondly, he came to proclaim freedom for the captives. Freedom for the captives. In this text, the word liberty, the first time it appears in verse 18, that word liberty translates a, a, a New Testament Greek word that is in every case used for forgiveness. The liberty or the freedom of forgiveness. Jesus is talking here about a captivity of the heart, a captivity to guilt, a captivity to shame, a captivity to an awareness of the penalty and the debt that is due to our sins. Jesus is saying here that the captivity of guilt and shame can be taken away through the liberty, the freedom, the forgiveness that he announces. He speaks, he proclaims release from the penalty and punishment of our sin. He cancels the debt of our sin. He cancels the hard wages that sin demands. The wages of sin is death. In the day you eat of this, you will surely die. Sin kills. Sin destroys in this life and in the life to come. But Jesus says, I have come to proclaim liberty, the freedom of forgiveness. You ever experience forgiveness in, in relationship with other people? Isn't it a glorious freedom? You, you, you carry with you the burden of your, of your broken relationship and the fact that you know someone else has something against you and maybe legitimately against you and you, you just carry it and it weighs on you and weighs on you. But then there's the moment of release. Remember, in the second grade, I got in trouble at school. I, um, how do I go and how do I say this? Uh, I loved basketball even as a second grader. And um, I was a pretty good shot, uh, not just in the gymnasium, but in other parts of the building, um, <laughs> which I'll just leave at that right now for... Uh, and needless, uh, well, end result is I had to stay after school for my behavior. And it just, ha it just happened to be, this is when we were living in Japan. My parents were missionaries there. And about once or twice a year, we had to do this major trip downtown Tokyo to, to go to a special hospital there to get all our physicals and all that kind of stuff. And it just so happened the day that I had to stay after school was the day we were supposed to go into the hospital in Tokyo, which meant that I made us late for seriously important appointments. My dad was not happy. I remember the ride to the hospital, sitting right behind him in the car, 
seeing his eyes in the rearview mirror, just looking at me and me trying with everything in my ability to not look in the mirror and see his eyes on me. But, I, you know, you'd, uh, he's still looking at me. You know, just, you know, just carrying this all the way to the hospital, all the way home. And when we got home, you know, walking into the house, knowing I was in serious trouble, walking into the room where you know, the discipline happened, usually. Walking into that room, dad following me in, me just standing there waiting, waiting for justice to happen. And my dad just says something like, Tim, I think you've suffered enough. Uh, had it been in my culture to do it, I would have danced a jig. I would have, I would, I would have danced all over the countryside. The, the freedom and release of forgiveness. Oh, how light it makes you feel. How free your heart is when you know that somebody you love or somebody over you no longer holds anything against you. How about us as human beings in the sight of God? Sometimes I stop to just think about my sins. I stop to think about how many of them there are. We're not just talking a few, folks. I can't get to 9.30 in the morning without having a whole catalog of sins. Every morning. Every day. There are times if you, you know, you can almost do picture these sins as little black dots on your soul. And, and they are like stains that just have seeped all the way into the very fabric of who you are. And they're just there. And every sin is another dot, another dot, another dot. And it's just spreading. And it's, your whole soul is black and dark. And it just keeps going. And your whole body, your whole being just feels dirty. And you realize God is holy and God is Without any sin, he is pure, blazing, white light. What hope is there? Jesus says, I've come to proclaim the freedom of forgiveness for those that are in captivity to sin and its consequences and guilt and shame. Jesus goes on, he says, I've come to proclaim Recovery of sight for the blind. Yeah, he healed blind people, but that's not the blindness he's talking about. He's talking about the blindness of the soul. He's talking about the fact that we can go through our lives day after day, year after year, without even seeing God. Without even being aware that he's there. Without even caring that he's aware. Without even seeing our need. You know, one of the, one of the silliest things people say is, you know, I know, you know, religion is good for you. Jesus is good for you. But I don't need Jesus. Don't need Jesus. You don't need God. The one who made you. The one who loves you. The one who's given himself for you. You don't need God. Oh, my friend, that's blindness. You need him. You need him. Jesus says, I've come to give recovery of sight to the Blind. There is a blindness that just can't see the truth, can't see the light, can't see love, can't see goodness, can't see beauty, only sees sin and 
death and sorrow and evil desires. And Jesus says, I've come to dispel the darkness. Come to shine the light of my grace and glory and love into your heart. This is what Christmas is about. This is why he was sent. This is why he came. And then he goes on. Came to proclaim and provide liberty for those who are oppressed. The word oppressed is a word that speaks of being crushed. And as a result of being crushed, being shattered. You know, just, just decimated, disintegrated. The effect of sin on the soul is that it, it crushes. You know, there are times in our lives where we just feel like we are a fragile, brittle piece of china that just And we're, and there's a million pieces of us all over the place, just kind of littering the path of our life. Just there, and sin does that to us. Jesus says, I've, I've come to bring liberty to the crushed and the shattered. You there this morning? You there this morning? I wish, I wish we had time for those that may be new to us or maybe those who still may think that, well, people who go to church, they must have it all together. I wish we had time to tell you the stories about every single person in this room. Because the reality is none of us has it together. We're all millions of pieces. In some small measure... Jesus is putting it back together. Putting it back together. I wish we could tell you the stories of those who were once drunks and addicts and others who were adulterers and adulteresses and others who were enslaved to pornography and others others that just couldn't get out of their own way. Every decision they made was a bad one. Others whose lives were just shattered, just shattered. And they're, they're sitting here this morning with joy in their hearts, singing joy to the world the Lord has come because he proclaimed liberty for the shattered, for the broken. Don't, don't think here this morning you, that you're somehow alone in your brokenness. Welcome to the community of the broken. Welcome to the fellowship of the shattered that are being restored by Jesus who came to earth in a baby's body, grew up among us, died for us, rose again, triumphant, reigns as king, coming back as Lord. And until he comes back, he's putting people back together. Putting people back together. He says, I have come to proclaim liberty for the crushed and the shattered. And then finally he says, he adds this final, all-encompassing summary. He says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is that about? In the Old Testament, there was a, there was a year of the Lord's favor. It was a very special, glorious moment in Israel's life 
that was known as the year of Jubilee. You can read about it in Leviticus 25 and 27. The word Jubilee comes from an old Hebrew word for a ram's horn that was sounded announcing joy and celebration. It was a trumpet that signaled joy. And in Leviticus 25, it's connected to this very special year, the year of Jubilee. It was a year of freedom, a year of deliverance from slavery, debt, and bondage. Here's how it worked. Every 50 years in Israel, there was a year of Jubilee. And it would start with this trumpet blast. And everybody who was in debt and everybody who had been enslaved and everyone who had lost home and land in the previous 50 years and was still in debt was released from the debt. It was jubilee. It was freedom. But understand, it was not freedom that was free. It was freedom that came at a cost. Because in order for it to happen, each person in debt had to have what the Old Testament called a kinsman redeemer. This was a a relative, usually a very close relative, who would come and pay off the debt. Who would come and repurchase the land or the house that had been lost. Who would come and ransom the slave. And this near of kin, this kinsman would redeem to set free those in bondage. Jesus is saying, I am the kinsman redeemer. I am the one who has come to purchase your freedom with the ransom of my blood. I am the one who is proclaiming liberty and release and freedom, but it is not going to come free to me, he is saying. He says in Matthew chapter 20, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our jubilee. He is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is saying, I'm proclaiming my redemption and I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. It is celebration time. Christmas and the coming of Christ is the beginning of, the dawning of the jubilee year. From that moment onward into eternity, It is the the year of his salvation, the year of his deliverance, the year of his freedom, the period in which God sets us free. God sets us free. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, this is why you sing, right? This is why we do Christmas carols. This is why we sing all the year long because we've been set free. Every day is Jubilee year. Every day is freedom time. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, and if you're not a Christian here this morning, you've never come to faith in Jesus, well, come. He came so that you would come. He came to be your kinsman redeemer. You see, that's that's why he had to be a baby, because he had to be a human. He had to be one of us. He had to be a relative. He had to be a relative. One of us to die for us. That's what Christmas is about. 
So if you don't know Jesus, he invites you, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All you who are shattered and broken and enslaved and in captivity to sin, come and I'll set you free. (coughs) Believe that you are a sinner. Own it. Confess it. Repent of it to God. Trust in me, Jesus says. Trust in me, Jesus says. And I will give you rest and peace. And I'll put your life back together. I'll put your life back together. This is the gospel. This is Christmas. This is Good Friday. This is Easter. All wrapped into one. All wrapped into one. And so, well, how do we hear this without singing, right? We need to close with some singing this morning. But let's first, before we sing, make sure we believe. Make sure we believe. I'm going to ask the, the, the band to come forward and be ready. And I want us to take just a, a couple of moments in quietness as, as they just play quietly. Um, in our own hearts, before the Lord, let's, let's own that in ourselves, We are captives and we are slaves and we are broken. We are shattered. Let's own it. Let's let's not be rich in spirit, arrogant and self-righteous and self-reliant. Let's be poor in spirit, desperate for mercy. Let's, Let's be like the man Jesus talked about who went into the temple and um, Jesus said he couldn't even look up to heaven. He was so filled with shame and guilt. And he just beat himself. So burdened was he with shame. And all he could get out of his mouth was, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said he went to his home justified. He went home saved. He went home forgiven. He went home accepted by God. If you came in this morning and your heart was heavy with guilt and shame and brokenness and shatteredness, we invite you to just lift your voice to heaven Say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Give me grace to trust in Jesus alone to save me. Help me to believe that he is my jubilee, my salvation, my freedom. Pray that prayer with an honest and sincere heart turning from your sin and your self-reliance in faith to Christ, in surrender to Him. Call upon the name of the Lord, we are told, and you will be saved. That is the promise of God. Why don't you turn now? Believer, a moment or two of quietness where we just thank Jesus for all he is and all he has done.
be still before him.